Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon from our series, Followers, a study on the specs. For more information about specs or how to get involved with CBC, visit us on the website, cbcsavannah.com. But Lord, we see that in love, you have sent Jesus to pay our ransom, to be on the cross in our place, to set us free from sin, to deliver us from death. And so we just want to start by thanking you, Lord God. We thank you. We worship you. We acknowledge that all power is yours. You're so different from us. And Lord, we believe in you. We believe that you give your Holy Spirit. And we want to meet with you this morning, Lord. We want to engage with you. We want to connect to you. And so I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. Like I prayed in the first service, Lord, I just, I have felt my brokenness and my weakness and my sin big time this week. Lord, and I admit, there's absolutely nothing in me that can do any kind of work that will last. But Holy Spirit, you love sinners. You want to teach us. You want to build us up. And so I just pray, Jesus, by your spirit and by the word of God, you would You'd teach us. You'd make us faithful followers. We can't do it. We need your help. Please come and act with power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be this morning. Matthew 28, we're finishing out our series called Followers. We've taken five weeks, and we're looking at the specs of a follower of Christ, so the things that we think should be true about every single follower of Christ in growing measure. Um, and today we come to our last one. It's out of order, um, but it's, it's actually kind of thematically appropriate that we would come to the E last. So that's what we're looking at today, the E in specs. Um, but before we get there, most of y'all know I'm a, I'm a sports guy. Bill's a movie guy, but I'm a sports guy, and it's hard to get through um, one commercial break when you're watching sports without seeing a Geico commercial. Okay, Geico spends over a billion bucks a year in ads, and their big 2016 campaign is, if you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to Geico. It's what you do. And then they provide all these kind of stereotypes, like one secret agent is on, a, uh, on the top of a building, is surrounded by helicopters and bad guys, and his phone rings, and he, he picks up his phone, and he answers it, and it's his mom. And the, the commercial says, if you're a mom, you call it the wrong time. It's what you do. And there's another one that's a, set at a golf tournament. This guy's setting up to hit his approach shot. And this sea monster comes out of the uh, pond and snatches him up and is like just wreaking havoc among the crowd. And the golf announcer says, it looks like we have some sort of a sea monster attack happening here. And, and the commercial goes on to say, if you're a golf announcer, you whisper. It's what you do. And, and y'all, this is how we want the specs to be for us. If you're a follower of Christ, you're growing in the specs. It's what you do. You're submitting your life to Scripture. You're praying. You're living your life in community. You're, steward, you're stewarding your time and your talents and your resources for the glory of God. In our E today, we would say you're engaged with culture for the sake of Christ. It's what you do. Or at least it's what we should do. Right? It's what we ought to do. But if we're being real, 
for most of us when it comes to these specs. The E is the, usually the one that kind of slips through the cracks. It's usually the one that's toughest for us. Um, but my prayer, you guys, and it is a genuine prayer of mine, that God would make us a church who engages with the culture for the sake of Christ, that this would be what we do. Okay, so here's how today's going to work. First, we just want to talk about what we mean when we say engage, okay? And then the bulk of the sermon is going to be spent on why we ought to give our whole lives to this. Because what I want to hold out to you is I think it is worth it to give our whole life to the mission that God's given us, and I want to give you five reasons why. But before we get there, let's talk about what we mean when we say engaged. Let me start by telling you what we don't mean. We don't mean somebody who watches a lot of HBO so they got their finger on the pulse of the culture, right? They're good with everything that's happening. We don't mean somebody who reads the New York Times a lot of the USA Today or has a great understanding of what's happening in the uh, political arena. When we talk about engage, basically what we mean is followers who intentionally work to make more followers. When we talk about being engaged with the culture for the sake of Christ, we're talking about followers intentionally working to make more followers, okay? We needed an E, and people are scared of the word evangelism. So that's why we went with engage, okay? Now, since the, since the very beginning, there's this expectation of the, the very first followers were, were called to make first followers, or, or more followers. So you'll remember Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, and he, they're beside the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishing, and he says, come, follow me, and I will make you Fishers of men, right? Followers fish. Followers make more followers. That's how he began his training with these guys, and it's how he ended his training with these guys. It's what his last words were, and this is where we want to camp out today in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. What I want to hold out to you guys, it's one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. So look with me at Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. Friends, this is the word of God. It's a gift that lots and lots of people don't have. I will read it. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay, get in the story real quick. These guys, their last week or so has been absolutely crazy. So there's this one that they had oriented their whole life around. There's this one guy that they had left their businesses and left, they have left their friends and they have left their families to follow him. And then a week or so before this, one of their own, betrays him, and he's captured, and he's killed. Can you imagine the confusion and the pain that these guys would have been in, all the questions that they would have had in those couple days after, the, after Christ's death? And, and then the confusion would have probably gotten worse before he got better, because on Sunday morning, these women who were buddies with him and who had been following Jesus, they run to the disciples, and they say, hey, we just got back from the tomb, and he's not there. And what's crazy is that huge stone was gone, and we saw this angel who said, he's alive. And he said, for you guys to meet him in Galilee. 
And then later that night, as these disciples were gathered around, Jesus comes and he stands among them. Okay, guys, think about this. Let's not pretend this happened in human history. The risen Jesus comes and he appears to these 11. And he says, hey, I want y'all to meet me in Galilee. Tells them a mountain where to meet him. And so at some point over the next week or so, these guys start this 100-mile journey up north. Probably with unmatched expectation. I mean, what is he going to say? We're about to see the resurrected son of God. What is he going to tell us? What's next for us? And, and friends, what's next is one of the most important commands in the entire Bible. It's one of the most important commands in all of human history. Jesus Christ gives the disciples what we call the Great Commission, the church's marching orders. These are the instructions, okay? And they're simple. He tells them, make disciples. You 11, starts with you guys, make more followers. That's his command. It was his command to them 2,000 years ago. And friends, it's his command to us this morning. Now, you might, you might think, really? I mean, is, it, is that really something that we should apply to ourselves? I mean, these guys were with him for three years. You know, he trained them for this. Does this apply to us? And, and I, simple English reading of the text, right? He says, go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So is this something he's commanded? Right, he's, he's Commanded this, so they're to teach every follower after him, hey, do this. Be a disciple maker. Well, well maybe you think, ah, listen, William, hey, I, I, I see it, okay, it's there, but I, I don't know if that's for me. I don't know if I'm one of these followers that needs to be making more followers. I mean, man, I, uh, I'm kind of a simple guy, and, and that's a little bit intimidating. I mean, I'm I've just started opening my Bible a little bit, and I, I prayed with my wife the other day, and it was a good step in the right direction, but it made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know if I can do this. And here's what I would say if, if this is kind of intimidating to you, friend. These 11 that Jesus was talking to, they were teenage fishermen. They weren't CEOs. They weren't PhDs. They're college-age boys, and Jesus gives them the greatest mission in the entire world. They're just like us, but, but check this out. They stunk at this until one specific event, until Jesus sent them his own Holy Spirit to live in them and to empower them to do the work. Okay, and here's what I want to say to you if you think, man, I, I could never do this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, my friend, the same spirit that empowered those men in the book of Acts is living in you. The spirit of Jesus wants to use you, and he wants to empower you, and he wants to work through you, just like he did with these normal guys. But maybe you say, ah, man, listen, I, I think I'd be willing to do it, but I, I don't know how. I mean, nobody's ever taught me how. I wouldn't know what to 
to say or what to do. And listen, we get that. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to start helping you guys with how to actually do stuff like this. So we're going to have a sermon coming up three weeks from today, which is all about how to make disciples. And then this fall, we're going to offer a training that's going to be all about helping people share their faith and make disciples. So there, there's some help that's coming. But in the meantime, you guys, we can get the simple strategy that we need right from this text. Okay, it's right in front of us. So the main command is to make disciples. But the other three English verbs, go, baptize, and teach, kind of give us a process that we're to follow. Okay, so the first thing that we need to do as we join Jesus in what he's doing and engaging people for his sake is we've got to go to him. We go to him and we share the good news of what Jesus has done. There we go. Um, all around us, y'all, we have people who don't know Christ. And it's our job to go to them and, and to be Christ's witnesses there. God has not called everybody to preach, friends, but he's called everybody to be a witness. Okay, and what does a witness do? A witness just tells what he's seen and what he's heard. And so he, here's kind of some homework for you to think through. Maybe at some point this week, write these things down. Um, question number one to answer. What was life like before Christ? How would you describe your life before Christ? What caused you to decide to follow Christ? That's question two. What made you want to follow him? What was the tipping point? And then question three, what has life been like since? Pretty simple. Life before Christ, what happened? Life after Christ. You ought to be able to have that ready anytime somebody has interest. Dude, let me tell you, let me tell you what life was like for me before Christ. I was running as fast as I could after everything the world said would satisfy me. And as I got it, I came up emptier and emptier and emptier and more and more dissatisfied. It never delivered. That was my life before Christ, man. But, but then I started reading the Bible. I don't even know what made me pick up the Bible. And as I saw this God who really acted in human history, who gave his son to die in my place, dude, the world started to have color again. I started to find my life as I started to try to come under his rule. And life hadn't been perfect, but I've got a joy that I've never experienced before. We can all have a little two-minute story like that where we can tell about life before Christ, what happened, and life after Christ. God wants us to be able to do that in the lives of others. Okay, and then he wants us to be able to tell them how they might experience the same thing. And so a great thing to kind of have in your mind is three S's. Sin, substitute, and simple faith. So you've shared with somebody what Jesus has done in your life. They maybe have interest of, of experiencing the same thing. Well, they need to know the gospel. The gospel is what's the power of God for salvation, this news that we have. And the news is that our sin has separated us from God. Right? That's what's left us broken. That's what's left us guilty before him. But God is such a loving and gracious God that instead of punishing us, he sent his son to be substituted in our place. And he punished him instead. Jesus lived the perfect life we should have lived, and he died in our place. And now the good news is that anybody who simply has faith in him, who stops trusting in their good works, stops trusting in what they do, and trusts in Jesus, that person is guaranteed to be forgiven. We, we, we all can think through those things. Life before Christ, what happened? Life after Christ, sin, substitute, simple faith. So we go and we share that good news. That's step one. Okay, step two is... We baptize people. And basically what we mean by that is we integrate them into the people of God. Now, 
Um, here's, here's what's awesome, okay? I'm about to get excited. Y'all know sometimes I get excited. I think half of y'all think I have like four heads, and I sometimes feel like I do. But y'all, if you're reading this book, you can't not get excited if you believe it's true, okay? So when we share the gospel with people, some of them are going to believe. God has planned that some of them are going to believe. He has this whole thing rigged, and it's the most wonderful thing because guess what that means? It means it doesn't depend on how perfectly I share the gospel. I need to communicate simply the truth about who Jesus is, and God supernaturally will bring some people from death to life. It's going to happen. And when he does, we just bring them into the body of Christ. We integrate them into the body of Christ. Baptism has just been the, since this moment right here in history, has been the moment where, or, or the, the way that people identify with Jesus and identify with Jesus' people. And so it's just a public initiation into the people of God. And that's what we do when they believe. And friends, let me say this. We've got a great church to invite people into. A lot of people are like embarrassed to invite their friends to church. You know, they're like, oh, I don't know what he's going to say today. You know, and when I preach, I'll probably feel that way. When Bill is here, we have great biblical preaching. Okay? <laughs> it's true. Okay, people are going to have a great worship experience. They're going to have an awesome opportunity to live life in community. We have something sweet to welcome them into, and we should. So we go to them sharing the good news. We integrate them into God's people, and then we teach them to follow Christ. We teach them to obey. Once they're a part of us, we show them and we tell them how to follow Christ. Now, you're probably thinking, dude, I, I can invite my neighbor to church, but showing and telling somebody how to follow Christ, I don't know if I can do that. Friend, you can do it. If the specs are happening in your life, right, if you're submitting your life to the scripture, if you're a person who prays, if you live your life in community, if you serve and steward your resources, all you need to do is say, hey, come with me. Come with me. Let me show you how I spend time in the word. Come read the Bible with me, and I'll kind of talk you through what I do. Come, come pray with me. I, I'd love to show you how I pray and help you learn how to do that. Right? Come with me as I take this guy out to lunch and talk to him about Christ. Come to my community group. Come serve alongside of me. Y'all, that, that's what making a follower is. It's showing them and telling them how to do it. And then here's the beautiful thing. As each of us do this individually, and we're bringing people into this body to do that, then the church is going to come behind you and we're going to reiterate all the things you're saying. And we're going to expedite this process of growth because now we're all saying the same things together. And we're all working up to make followers who make more followers. Th that's how this process works, you guys. It's simple. We go, we baptize, and we teach. And then we send people out to go and to baptize and to teach. It's a great commission. Okay. Um, now, let's kind of hit pause here. And again, I want to own, this seems frightening to a lot of people. I get it. And you think, like, dude, I don't know if I could ever be the one who can kind of live my life this way. And what I want to do is, man, just... Get off script for a minute here. Y'all, anything worth doing, you've got to go through that stage of awkwardness. You've got to go through that stage of not knowing. This might be such a bad example, but anybody who's played basketball, when you're like a little kid and you're trying to do a left-handed layup, does anybody, can anybody relate to that? 
you're jumping off the wrong foot, the ball's falling off your hand sideways, and you feel so incompetent. Okay, that's how a lot of us feel when we think, man, a follower who makes more followers. But when you work through that and you see results, it's so awesome. And that's what God wants for us. So here's what I want to do now. I want to give you five reasons why it's worth it for you to give your life to this. Not just make it part of your life. I mean, five reasons why you should identify yourself as a worshiping disciple who makes disciples. Five reasons to orient your whole life around this cause. Okay, number one, we have a worthy God. Number one, above anything else, we have a worthy God. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. Okay, y'all, before Jesus told these guys what to do, before he gave a single command, they saw him for who he is. They saw him as the most valuable, glorious, beautiful one in the entire universe, and they bowed to worship him. This is what God is looking for. John chapter 4, woman at the well, Jesus tells her, time has come and it has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. These are the kind of worshipers the Father's looking for. He's looking for people who are worshiping him, who will worship him now. And he's, worship, he's looking for people who will worship him forever. This is where human history is going. People from every nation and language and tribe and tongue seeing the beauty and the worth and the glory of Jesus and giving him the praise that he deserves. And what I want to hold out to you this morning is that worship is the beginning of effective disciple-making. Worship is where our disciple-making starts, okay? And I'm going I'm to just quote, basically rip off John Piper's idea because it's so hard to improve on. But he, he says this. He says, worship is both the fuel and the goal of missions. Worship, or we could say disciple-making, worship is both the fuel and the goal of disciple-making. Okay, what does he mean by that? What does he mean worship is the fuel of disciple-making? Okay, here's, here's what we mean. We all talk about what we love most. We all talk about what we think is most valuable. Okay, and we do it in a very natural way. We do it in a very excitable way. We do it in a very unawkward way. Right, this is why if you would come to our office during the week, you would probably hear Bill Fowler talking about Star Wars or 1980s music, and you would probably hear Ethan Montesinos talking about green truck or Patagonia apparel. <laughs> because those guys love that stuff. And because they love it, they talk about it. Friend, what you love, you talk about. I remember when this concept hit me for the first time. I was in Central Asia in 2010, and we were talking to this missionary there. And we asked this guy about his evangelism methods. And we said, you know, you're in a closed country. How do you share here? And he goes, well, I wake up in the morning, and I go to the Word of God, and I look at who Jesus is, and I look at what Jesus has done, and I just get really excited about him, and I go tell people about it. And when I'm not excited, I repent. And I remember, like, sitting back in my chair, like, <laughs> William, are you even a Christian, you know? Um, <laughs> but, but friends... What, what better way? It's so true, right? Look at him. Every day, wake up and make it your first great and primary business to which you ought to attend to have your soul happy in the Lord. See him. See his work. See his grace. See his goodness toward you. And celebrate it. And then talk about it. 
Worship will fuel our disciple making. Okay, but it's not just the fuel, it's also the goal. And, and here's how that works. When we see something as so worthy, when we see something as so valuable, the reason we tell people about it is because we want to welcome other people in on it. We want them to see that same thing is as good and as worthy and as valuable as we do. That's why we always talk about it. Right? So I, when, when, let me see, man, I'm talking fast. Slow down, pal. Slow down. Communicate your thought. Here we go. All right. <laughs> Y'all get so excited. Um, when we see the worth of Jesus Christ, we want him to get the worship he deserves. Y'all, there is nothing else or no one else who deserves worship like Jesus Christ deserves it. We want him to be honored. We want him to be praised. We want people from every nation and language and tribe and tongue to fall on their knees before him because, friends, that is where we belong because of who he is and because of what he's done. He has been gracious to us, and we want him to have the reward that he deserves. In the 1700s, there's a group of believers called the Moravian Brethren, led by a guy named Nicholas Zinzendorf. And these guys became enthralled with Jesus Christ. They just thought he was so worthy and so valuable. And so they made it their aim to send people all over planet Earth, to every tribe under planet Earth is what they wanted to do, to tell people about Jesus. And here's the reason why. Here was their tagline. Over and over and over again, they said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That's what motivated them. And friends, that's what should motivate us. Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship. It's reason number one. Reason number two, we should give our life to this cause. We have a clear command. We have a clear command. Verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All right, so get back in the story for a minute. Here these 11 are. They are standing before, probably bowing before at this point, the resurrected son of God. Okay, so he, his glory had been concealed since they'd known him, and now they're starting to see him for who he really is. And he says, all authority is mine. Everything belongs to me. Right? The Clinton family, they don't have any power. Caesar, he doesn't have any power. All authority is mine. Go make disciples. Friends, this is not a democracy. This is not up for a vote. Right? This is... The universe is king making a decree. This is the general giving his orders with all authority. And here's what this does for us. Okay, This does two things for us. Number one, it makes it to where we don't have to be afraid if we give our lives to this. We've got the approval of the utmost authority. So what Johnny down the street thinks about me, my identity isn't wrapped up in that because I'm obeying the king. So it frees me up in the most wonderful way. But, but here's the other thing it does for us. Which is a little bit more scary. Jesus authoritatively commanding us to make disciples it, it makes this reality clear that if we live our lives for anything else we're missing the point. To live our lives for anything else is to miss the point. So a couple years back one of my best buddies he wanted to serve his wife. And uh, so he, 
He sends her out to get a manicure, pedicure, have a little girl's day, and he's going to paint the trim, paint the trim for his wife. And so he, he spends all day, you know, laying on his side, cramping up, getting on the ladder, and uh, slaves, you know, for half the day, just painting the trim, wanting to make mama happy. He calls his wife mama. It's weird. Um, <laughs> and she gets home, and he's so excited, man. What's, what's she going to think? Opens the door, she looks up, looks down, it's the wrong color. (laughs) And friends, let me tell you what concerns me. I think some of us as Christians, with good intention, are going through life and we're painting with the wrong color. We're living for things that are not of ultimate value, right? And and instead of taking Jesus' clear commands for what must govern our lives, we just take the culture's narrative and we try to accumulate or we try to make tons of money or be a success or make a great name for ourselves. Friends, let me tell you what we don't want. We don't want to stand before Jesus someday and for him to say, Glad you're here, glad you trusted me, but what were you doing? What were you living for? That's not a moment we want. But think about this, okay? Think about right now, if you decided to say, hey, I'm going to give my life to be a worshiping disciple who makes disciples. And I'm going to say no to lots and lots of good things so I can be this one thing. So I can worship him and so I can live for him and so I can help bring him the worship that he deserves. What if you oriented your life around that cause from now until the time you die? And you stand before him and he looks at you with power and with passion deep down into your soul. And he says, well done. Well done. Isn't that what you want? It's what I want. Friends, we have a clear command. But not just a clear command. We have a perfect strategy. Perfect strategy. Verse 18 and verse 19, we've already talked about it. The command is for every disciple to make disciples. Okay, for every disciple to make disciples. Simple strategy. But when we all take this seriously, amazing things can happen. Now, a lot of people think, dude, if I, uh, I, I'm not that gifted at explaining this stuff, and Fowler can say it in such a better way while he makes people laugh, it's not threatening, it'd be just awesome. If I just get him here, then, then that's my part. And, and what I would say is, dude, that's a, that's a good strategy, but it's not the best strategy. Okay, it's the difference between addition and multiplication. And God's favorite kind of math is multiplication. Let, let me show you how it works. Uh, Sanford Stadium. Everybody knows Sanford Stadium? Anybody know how many people, uh, how many people Sanford Stadium can seat? There we go. Adam's got a football idol. Um, <laughs> 92,746. Let's get that slide up. Okay, if Bill Fowler preached to Sanford Stadium every week, let's just imagine this for me. Zero believers on planet Earth except for Bill. Bill's the only guy 
who's a Christian. Wouldn't that be scary? Um, and every Sunday, he's going to preach to a capacity crowd at Stanford Stadium. 92,746 people. And every single one of them are going to believe. Okay, then they're going to leave. And the next week, 92,000 more people are going to come in. He's going to talk about Star Wars and growl at you like Milton. And he's going to share the gospel. And they're, they're all going to believe. And this continues week after week after week. How long would it take for the whole world to believe? Well, if the population stayed stagnant, the answer is 1,534 years and three months. Right? But we would actually probably never get there because the population is growing. But if Bill Fowler was the only believer on planet Earth, and for one year, he simply discipled me, Ethan, and Matt Davis. <laughs> and, he, and he taught us how to follow Christ. Okay? Then at the end of that year, we all started discipling three people and teaching them to follow Christ, and he took three more. Okay? And then at the end of the next year, that's our staff, by the way, um, <laughs> Then at the end of the next year, we all took three more. How long under those circumstances would it take for the whole world of 7.4 billion people to believe? Answer, 22 years. This is a perfect strategy. It cannot be improved upon. Every disciple making disciples. Now you think, uh, I don't know. That's just math, William. I don't know if that could actually happen. And here's what I want to tell you. It can happen. It happened during the Bible. Acts chapter 19 tells us of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And, and Paul is ministering in this one place. And every day, day after day, he goes to the hall of Tyrannus. And for two years, he trains people there and he disciples people there and he teaches them. And then in chapter 19, verse 10, we get this little sentence. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All the residents of Asia, that's between 11 and 15 million people in a two-year time period, heard the word of the Lord. How? Well, they didn't come to the hall of Tyrannus to hear Paul. No, he trained some who went and trained others who went and trained others, and everywhere people went, they were chattering the gospel, and they were making disciples. And not long after this, Paul says, hey, in Romans chapter 15, my work from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, which is northwest Macedonia, is done. I fulfilled my ministry here, and so I'm going to try to get to Spain. This could happen. And so just dream with me for a minute. Dream with me about this city. You guys, y'all, we have people in this city that we love, who need what we have. What if each of us went back into our own communities, okay, the places where we live, the places where we work, the places where we play, our families, our neighborhoods, our work, our school, our teammates, our classmates. What if we all went to these places where we already relate to these people and speak the language that they speak? What if we went as a missionary? And what if we just had gospel intentionality to share our lives and to share the gospel? If all of us did that in a church of 1,500 people with just one person over the next year, then a year from now, this church would have 3,000 people. Okay? If we continued to do that for five years, there would be 50,000 new believers in Savannah. If we continued to do that for the next 10 years, there would be 1.5 million new believers as a result of God working through our little church just by each of us taking one per year. Isn't that amazing? And y'all, let's just demystify this for a minute. This is not some fancy, complicated thing. Start with your kids, parents. Start with just sharing the gospel with your kids every day. 
Teach them how to follow Christ. Have intentionality as you go throughout the day. And then go to your friend who you already have a great relationship with. Maybe you, want to, maybe you want to try to do this with somebody who's not intimidating. Maybe it's a babysitter, mom, or maybe it's um, somebody who works for you. Just start sharing your life, sharing the gospel, praying like crazy, telling them how to follow Christ as you go. What could happen through this church? It could be amazing. We have a perfect strategy. Okay, two more reasons. Um, reason number four, there's no greater cause in the world. There is no greater cause to get behind than this. Now, here's what we know. We know that young people everywhere are looking for, for purpose, they're looking for adventure, right? They're on the search for it. We know that old people everywhere, they're looking for meaning, they're looking for legacy. We're asking all these questions. And here's what I just wanna hold out. Young, old, rich, poor, black, white, this is it. Worshiping disciples who make disciples. This is what you're looking for. This is what you're after. This is the adventure that you've been waiting for your whole life. Okay, because here's what happens. Way too often, we look around and we see Christians who go to their Bible study, read the Bible, they pray, they go to their community group, they write their check every week, and this thing to them is still rote. It's dull. There's no purpose in it, no adventure in it. And y'all, it's like somebody who practices and practices and practices and practices and never plays the game. It's like somebody trains and trains and trains and trains and never goes into battle. But y'all, there is a game to be played. And there is a battle to be fought. Okay, and it's to be fought for people that we deeply love. And and y'all, let's just be very, very real with each other. Jesus himself says that our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family who don't know him who have rejected God and gone their own way, it has left them both broken and it has left them guilty. And y'all, apart from Christ, judgment is waiting for them. And we can try to sugarcoat it by saying separation from God. Y'all, conscious, eternal torment for rejecting the God who puts breath in our lungs. And we have the news that they need. We have good news, right? We have news of restoration. We have news of redemption. We have news of a God who loved us so much that he sent his son to pay the debt that we could never possibly pay. We have the good news of the the defeating of death. We have the good news of when we put our faith in him, he gives us his spirit to start to make us whole again. He's given us his word to show us how we might live under his rule and flourish in his world. He's given a purpose to us, something that we could live for, something that we could find our lives in. He's guaranteed hope for our future, forgiveness of sins, no more pain, no more dying, no more tears, pleasure forevermore. This world is as bad as it will ever get for any Christian. Friend, when we communicate that to somebody, when we communicate what has happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that message has the power to bring somebody from death to life. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Friends, we have what they need. Can you think of any greater cause to get behind? I mean, this is an eternal cause. Can you think of any greater investment with your temporary dollars to send it to places where you could never go 
to put a Christian there, to put a Bible there so that people could find Jesus and find their life. Can you think of any greater legacy than friends and neighbors and children and grandchildren worshiping the one true God because of the investment you made in their life? Can you think of any greater adventure? Oh, gosh. God has called us all to make disciples right where we are. Friends, for some of you honored, chosen, picked by God ones, he has called you to go to the nearly 2 billion people who have no access to a Christian or no access to a Bible. For some, he has called you to do the same work that his son did, leaving his home to go to a foreign land, to go to people who don't understand, who will probably reject you, to serve and to love and to give and to sacrifice so that they might find the life that they were looking for. Some of you, God has called you on that adventure. What an honor. What else will we give our lives to? C.S. Lewis says, I'm going to butcher this quote probably, but it's so true. He says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. Like a child playing in a mud pie in a slum. Because we can't possibly fathom what is meant by a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I just want to hold out to you this morning. There's an adventure that you've been invited in on. And friend, you're missing it if you don't get in. You're missing out choosing the mud pie. We don't want to do it. Okay, last reason why we don't want to do it, why we want to give our lives to this, is because incomparable joy is waiting. Incomparable joy is waiting for us as we give our lives to this. We'll close with a verse we started the series with, Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. Guys, following Jesus is how we find what we're looking for. Giving ourselves to him and his work in the world is how we find the joy and the satisfaction that we're craving. That's where it is. And, and, and there's three, three ways that this joy comes, and there's probably more than that, but there's just three that are obvious to me, three ways that we experience this joy as we join Jesus in the Great Commission. The first one is this, joy in other people. We get to experience joy in other people. Have you ever had the opportunity to introduce somebody to Jesus Christ? It's the most wonderful thing. It is, it's worth living for. I mean, it's just awesome. Have you ever had the opportunity to help someone along in their faith in a meaningful way? There is so much joy to be found in this. This is why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, after Paul has talked about how he made disciples of these Thessalonians, he says, for what joy or for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake? Like Paul is saying, I came and I served you guys. I sacrificed my life for you guys. But at the end of the day, I'm the real winner. I'm the one who's experienced the joy. I'm the one who's found the satisfaction before God. Friends, when we give our life to this mission, we experience great joy in other people. Okay, but it's not just great joy in other people. It's great joy with other people. There's great joy to be found with other people. Let me explain. Last week, um, Steg and I were in the office, our new college pastor. Most of y'all probably met him by now. 
And we're just, we're practicing how to share the gospel. We're practicing probably for an hour. We want to get better at sharing the gospel so that when opportunities come, we're ready, right? Just like an athlete is ready when the opportunity comes, we want to be ready. So we want to train to know the gospel. So we're practicing. And um, that afternoon, door opens up for him to share the gospel with this guy who is just in desperate need of the grace of God. And this guy is drinking from it like a thirsty man, just soaking up the gospel. So Steg calls me, and he's like, buddy, dude, you got you know, to hear about this. So he tells me all about it. Well, Tony Scott's been practicing with us all summer. And so I tell Stoney, Tony, oh, have him study that. Well, shortly thereafter, Tony went to the gas station. God opened a door for him to share the gospel with some guy. And so we got this text message, giddy middle school girl love fest happening. And it's because we feel like we've found our lives in this purpose that God's given us. We've found what we were created for. But this is what Jesus said. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. And then in, in John's version of, of a similar passage, he says, hey, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. We get to join him in what he's doing. And when we do it together, there is so much joy with other people. We're high-fiving and we're hugging. It's like we're in this cosmic adventure. So there's joy in others, there's joy with others, and then last, there's joy in God. When we live our lives as followers to make more followers, we experience joy in God that you just, you can't replicate it, and the world can't compete with it. Let, let me share with you my, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible at the end of this passage, half a verse, one of the sweetest promises in the whole world. After giving this cosmic commission, Jesus says, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. Guys, when we get in the game, when we get in the battle, when we join Jesus in what he's doing, there's a way that he loves to show up where we get to experience his presence and his power. And it's a different kind of way than you experience it in the morning with your Bible. It's a different kind of way than you experience it in Christian community. It is this empowerment this joy of Jesus working in you and working through you to reveal himself to other people. And I just can't commend this enough. The joy that we get to experience with God as we are followers who make more followers, the world can't touch it. It is incomparable and it is worth getting out of our comfort zone for. It's worth being uncomfortable for. It's worth risking our lives for. Y'all, we have a worthy God we have a clear command. We have a perfect strategy. There is no greater cause in the world. And incomparable joy is waiting for us. Let me close with this thought. If we want to make followers, we first got to be followers. Okay? And I, I know this room is full of awesome people. But in, in a room of 700 people, Surely some of you guys have never trusted Christ and genuinely followed him, right? Maybe, you know, intellectually you think, yeah, the Christian worldview, it makes sense. Maybe you like the way that Christians are. Who knows? Who knows what brought you here this morning? Friends, this all begins by laying down your life and putting your trust in Jesus Christ who died for you. He's alive now. You can know him, and he makes all the difference. He's made all the difference for so many of us. And so it, if you're wanting to know how, how to have a relationship with Christ, it really just starts by believing and then probably telling a Christian and saying, could you help me out? 
if you want to tell somebody, come tell me afterward. But we don't want you to go without becoming a follower of Christ. Here's the other thing I would say. We're only going to make followers to the degree that we're following ourselves. Okay? And so every day as a Christian, we need to wake up. We need to make it our business to submit to the scripture, to be a person of prayer, to be in community, to steward all that we have for God's glory. Okay, and then out of the overflow of our following Jesus, then we'll be able to make more followers. Okay, that's what we want to do. We want to engage. We want to be followers who make followers. We want to be able to say, it's what we do. It's how we find our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have sent Jesus to earth to show us how to live, to give us an example to follow um, thank you that you defeated our sin through him. Thank you that you have given us his own spirit. And Lord, we're eager to follow you. We, we want to. We want to follow you in all the ways that you've asked us to. We want to be a church that makes more followers. And so I pray that you would empower us. I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that you would give us boldness and courage um, to do this. And we pray for fruit that lasts, Lord God. We pray that we would see you work. Um, Lord, we pray that you would raise up laborers from us. We would see the Lamb of God as infinitely worthy, and we would do whatever you tell us. Go wherever you want us so that you get the worship you deserve. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.